0: You've tuned in to the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today, feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. In Acts chapter 12 is where we're going. I'm going to begin in verse one, and then we're gonna go over to 15. And we're talking about three different deserters today. We're gonna to talk about and I, I we may get into the last one, Lord willing, Wednesday. Do you ever feel like just wanting to run away? Just I gotta get out of here. You've just had enough. It's getting too tough. You're just fed up. Well, we're gonna look at a couple of lives that deserted. Do you remember i think it's been well over a year ago or more we looked at the lives of the apostles we characterized we looked at each one of them we we examined them from the scripture and remember peter how peter was so bold and ready to you know on the night that christ was betrayed he said no I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. And is ready to fight. There's over 600 Roman soldiers. And what does he do? He draws his sword. He slices off the servant's ear. And he's ready to fight (laughs) a, a losing battle. And I'm sure he's thinking, well, I've got the Lord on my side. So what's 600 men? You know, when you've got the Lord with you. And then, of course, they arrest Christ. And they take him. And we know the story how three times, or at least on three occasions, he denies the Lord. Many times in those occasions, but on three different occasions, he denies the Lord, and he denies the Lord. Now we're going to be talking about Peter, because after the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, he is a very different man. And that's what the message is about. We're going to look at three different characters and see how they deserted But God uses deserters. God uses broken people. God uses people that we blow it. I can attest to this. (laughs) I feel very uh, akin in all of these things because of my horrible sin and how God has blessed and that he hasn't killed me. It's just an amazing thing. And so let me get the setting in chapter 12 of acts beginning in verse 1 it says now about the time herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church from the church then he killed james the brother of john with a sword and because he saw that it pleased the jews he proceeded further to seize peter also Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. We're going to pick up in just a moment after that, because we're going to talk about a man by the name of John Mark, we're talking about Peter, and then we'll get into talking about another man, Onesimus, that we see in the book of Philemon. The name of Onesimus may not be familiar. John Mark, because we've just gone through the Gospel of Mark, is probably a little more familiar. I wanted to show you in this message how their lives intersect, how their lives are are so greatly connected. John Mark, Onesimus are runaways. We're going to look at that. We're going to examine how they ran away. Yet in spite of what they did, the Lord rescued them. He transformed them from tragic figures to triumphant figures. And I want you to see what God does in the life of a broken person. I want you to see what he does. And you know, he does that in every sinner that he saves. God never let go of Mark. He never let go of Onesimus. Just as He does with us. If you are His child, He will not let you go. He will turn your flaws into, in our, into strength. He'll turn our failures into success. So as we begin with Mark, and then Lord willing, Wednesday we look at Onesimus. I'll show you how these lives have intersected from a little different aspect than what we've been studying in James. And you know I love studying characters of the Bible. I hope you've enjoyed that, and I hope that you'll see these men in a new light. You'll see them in a little bit different. So now we know that this one named Mark is really John Mark. John is his Jewish name. Mark is his Gentile name. He is John Mark. We're introduced to him a little bit farther on here in Acts chapter 12. But as we set the scene, King Herod, this is Herod Agrippa. Remember we've seen and we talked about Herod the Great. When Christ was born as a babe. he was the one that sent the rule to go in and have all of the children under the age of two killed. That was Herod the Great. This is his grandson. There was Herod the Tetrarch, Herod Antipas, who tried Jesus. So we have Herod the Great, we have Herod Antipas, or Herod the Tetrarch, and now we're Herod Agrippa. So, So you get that idea. And then there's even another Herod Agrippa II. So don't get them confused. This is Herod Agrippa I, the grandson of Herod the Great. And what does he do? He sees that he can win favor of the Jewish people by harassing the Jerusalem church. So that's what he does. Now he has to do that, and we have to look at a little bit of history to understand why he wants to curry the favor of the Jews is because he was not in favor with the emperor who was Trajan at that time. I'm sorry, Tiberius. Emperor Tiberius had this Herod imprisoned for a while because he had so many debts in Rome and he had been talking against the emperor and that will land you in prison in those days. So he gets out and he is relegated back to this area of Palestine and Samaria. Herod Agrippa, persecuting the Lord's church, is persecuting the church because he's wanting to get the powerful Jewish people on his side. He's wanting to get those elite people to back him and to help him. And he's that alien king because Rome has allowed him a little bit of power now. He's giving him a little bit, allowing him to come back, and it serves him well to really gain favor with the people. The Jews essentially were running the religious direction of the country, and so they had great influence. Therefore, if he was going to have any dominance of the people, he needed the Jews' backing, and he's a very wicked ruler. He is a demagogue. So he especially targets the Jerusalem church for persecution, and where does he start? He starts at the top. What does he do? He has James, we saw that in verse 2, James, the brother of John, killed. This is the apostle James. Now a little bit later, in, in verse 17, you'll see that they were told to go tell these things to James and to the brethren. Now that James is the writer of the epistle, James, that we were studying. So don't get those mixed up. I want you to get everybody, all of the characters straight. So he arrests Peter. When Herod saw how much it pleased the Jews to have James killed, James of Zebedee, then what is he going to do? Well, I'm going to get Peter. And notice what it said that he had four squads of soldiers to keep him. Four squads of soldiers. How many was that? Well, that was Tetrar, so there's at least eight in each group. So imagine to have that many guards to watch one man. And as we read through, by the way, let's just read verse 5 on through. I don't want to go too far. Let's go 5-6. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. So he is well secured. He's not only in a prison cell... But he's chained to the wall in the prison cell, and he has a guard on this side, and a guard on that side, and guards at the door. How's he going to get out? So when Herod has decided, I'm going to keep this man, he wants to make sure that nobody is able to get in, sneak in, to get him out, or that none of the other guards, because there's so many of them that one would... Well, I'll, I'll let I'll let him go. We'll get him out. This so as you see that we see this miraculous escape of Peter. And that's where we're going to pick up, because I want us to see how from chapter 12, we talked about this Wednesday night, overview of the book of Acts, from chapter 1 through chapter 12, we have Peter and the Jerusalem church being the main characters. And of course, John, the apostle John, is is very much in there. And then from chapter 13 to the end, from chapter 28, Paul and the Antioch church are the main characters. We're closing out chapter 12 with Peter and about to come in and see how much more Paul is going to do. And so as we recognize this, Peter is released from prison. Well, let's just read on from verse 7 through 10. We're going to get all of this, so I want you to understand. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garments and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. I'm going to just say this has got me thinking about, I'm going to really do some studying on angels again. This, is, this has really prompted me to look at the ministry and the work of angels because they were able to just, the chains just fell off. The gate, it says, opened with no one touching it. So there's some real miraculous power here, and it is the power of God. And I think that it's important that we understand that now with all that's happening with Peter, and then he says in verse 11, and now when Peter had come to himself, he realizes this is in the vision. Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. He knew that he was bound to be executed just as James had been executed. So when he had considered this, verse 12, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Why is it that this Mary is designated the mother of John Mark? It's because there are so many Marys in the New Testament, so many Marys in the Bible, they're telling us this is the mother of John Mark. And this is the house, and that's how you're going to know who this Mary is. You're going to understand who she is so that we understand all of these. And this is the introduction to this young man, John Mark, that we're coming into. This is the first time that he's mentioned in the New Testament. And I think we're going to find some interesting things, because as we're going through and looking at some of these, we're getting the miraculous story of that here and all of this heaven is all about and shining so the first thought that comes to peter's mind was to make his way to a familiar home wasn't it someone where believers were someone where fellow christians were and what does he do so he goes that and he goes to this mary's home and look at what's happening there Verse 13, And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, You are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, It is his angel. Here is a prayer group without faith. (laughs) They were praying for Peter's release, and here Peter is released. It's interesting, Peter has an easier time getting out of prison than into church. (laughs) He's got an easier time getting out of the prison because the angel just, you know, doors open. He can't get into the the prayer meeting. (laughs) I wonder if that would help if we locked all the doors and said, nobody can come in, we're having a prayer meeting. Would everybody would want to come in? No, no, no. So this only occurs as a footnote that this is the John Mark that's together with the people praying. And we don't have any more information about John Mark at that point, except that it's identifying Mary's house where the believers, where the, so many of the Christians assembled. Now, what we learned from that statement is really basic. We learned that John Mark was raised in a Christian home. John Mark is raised by a devout Christian woman. Her house was a meeting place for believers, for some of the Christians there in Jerusalem. And remember, the Jerusalem church was massive. We're going to look at that in just a moment. And perhaps, kind of like Timothy, he's instructed in the faith Like Timothy was instructed by his mother Eunice, maybe this Mary has instructed her son John Mark in the faith also. So he's been raised up. The second thing we learn is that Peter has a connection with this family. Peter had a connection with that house, with this mother Mary, and with that son John Mark. So after miraculously being released from prison, Peter goes to this this Mary, the mother of John Mark's house, members of the church and that's how we are now introduced to this man peter was well acquainted with him that's what i'm trying to show peter was well acquainted with john mark that's going to be very valuable later on in years now peter's release from prison happens and paul and barnabas begin to show up about the same time We studied on Wednesday evening that it's Peter and John in in the first part that dominate this book, and then Paul, as it turns around, and what's happened is Paul and Barnabas have come from the city in Syria, it's the very Syria that we hear about today. They come from the city of Antioch. That was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It's massive. It's an important city. And it was there in that city of Antioch that Paul and Barnabas led that church that was there along with others. So we have the first church in Jerusalem, the church of Christ established. We have an other churches now, and maybe Antioch, some have suggested that it was the second, probably the first Gentile church that was in the city of Antioch. And Paul and Barnabas now have led that Antioch church, and it appears that they've been collecting money. They collected money in Antioch and some of the surrounding churches. And Paul and Barnabas are coming south to Jerusalem with the money to try to help those struggling saints in the Jerusalem church. Now think about this. The Jerusalem church had hundreds of thousands of people in it. How do we know that? From the early chapters of Acts, remember on the day of Pentecost, how many? 3,000 were saved, right? And then, what was it, another 5,000 in the next day or so? And then the scripture says that the numbers multiplied daily. So if you take it by the smallest multiplication possibility, you have 100,000 members in the Jerusalem church. The Lord was adding to the church. There are tens of thousands of believers who have come to know Christ in Jerusalem. And they've come from other countries. They've come from all around. And, you know, I think that many of them stayed because that's the only church. Originally, the Jerusalem church was it. There were no others. And so if they wanted to be in fellowship, and so this is the reason that in Acts chapter 6, you need deacons to help with the feeding. Because all of these people had come from other places. There were so many Christians there. And remember, Christians are hated among the Jews. They're thought of as defectors. They're thought of as following after some other god. And so one of the things that Paul does throughout his ministry is to help take collections to provide for the needs of fellow saints. And they were not able to take care of themselves because the Jews in the city of Jerusalem would have been persecuting the church. Remember Paul, Saul, that was one of his jobs, was to persecute the saints. So many of them in Jerusalem, that was what was happening. The Romans hated the church because it was a representation of the Lord Jesus whom they had executed. So to integrate into society would have been very, very difficult for these new believers in Jerusalem. So they needed to be cared for. Not only that, we see in other places that there was a famine in Jerusalem, and the Lord moved some of the brethren to help support all of these very many that were in Jerusalem. So we add another kind of component, according to the 11th chapter, that famine that difficult situation. And Paul and Barnabas come with a loved gift from—I don't know if I should say the second church to the first church. <laughs> we have a lot of first missionary Baptist churches, and Sylvia and I got to travel in the south, and there's some that are second missionary Baptist church third mission. so I don't know if the church in Antioch was called second missionary Baptist church but it was one of the second or third one of those and Paul and Barnabas wanted to go back to Antioch and they decided that they weren't going to just pick up and go but we see something happens that and let's just jump over to about verse 25 in Acts chapter 12 so Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem going back to Antioch when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname is Mark. Aha, now, there's going, now they're heading back. Barnabas and Saul, using his old name, about to be changed as Paul, are going back to Antioch. They've fulfilled their ministry, they've delivered the money, they've helped the Jerusalem church, and now they're taking John Mark with them. Paul and Barnabas come down, I bet they've been in the house of Mary, this mother of John Mark, because Scripture tells us in Colossians 4.10, John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. So there's a relation. So I'm sure they were there. So Barnabas has an even closer relation, a closer connection to John Mark, and he suggests that he comes and travels with him. And Barnabas must have really trusted him. He must have recognized his experience in the Jerusalem church and have had personal knowledge because he that personal knowledge he had been with Peter. He knew of the apostles. And Barnabas convinces Paul to take John Mark that he's going to be useful. He's going to be helpful. Let's take him back for the ministry among the Gentiles in Antioch. Now evidently, John Mark is not a preacher. And that's because in chapter 13, verse 1, It gives us a list of some of the preachers and teachers. Now, it was in the church that was in Antioch. There were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Mannion, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And so now it has listed who the preachers were, who the prophets or teachers were at Antioch, and John Mark isn't in that group. Paul, Barnabas are. Now they're going to go out on the first missionary journey, and they take John Mark as their assistant. So he's going to come along as a missionary helper. He's going to come along as that jack-of-all-trades. Have you ever known somebody who was just able to be there and, and help out and, all, and take care of all of the different needs? And especially if they were going to be ministering the gospel, they would need somebody who would be able to go out, get the food, and maybe help prepare it, find lodging, or whatever it was that they needed. They could assist them in anything that they needed as they went. And so, in verse 5, of chapter 13, it says, and when they had arrived, so they were being sent out by the Holy Spirit, that was verse 4, down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they had arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. So there he is, he's named again. Now when they had gone through the Isle of Patmos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bargesus, who was of the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man is called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the enemy, you enemy of of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teachings of the Lord. So now on this mission trip... There's opposition. That's why I wanted to read that. I wanted us to see there's opposition here. People are not just saying, oh great, the gospel has come. But God allows his power to be shown on Elemas, this man who is an agent of darkness. So we have a very clear group that is preaching the gospel, and you have those that are standing against it. So as you journey on, as it goes on in Acts 13, the missionaries have difficulty in traveling. Because remember, travel is mostly by foot. So it would have been very difficult walking all the time. You didn't have McDonald's on the road to stop. No Denny's. (laughs) You didn't have somewhere to stop and get something to eat, so eating would have been difficult. Difficult walking all the time and then finding places to sleep because inns were notorious places where thieves would wait for travelers to come in. And so there's also a stiff resistance to the gospel. And at the same time, in Galatians chapter 4, we read that the apostle Paul contracts a very serious illness. Many commentators believe that he caught malaria. That shortly happened after they left Paphos. So you can imagine how that makes things so much more difficult. And all along the way, there are challenges and they're facing difficulties. And well, we know what happened. Is it verse 13 here of 13? Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga, in Pamphylia and John departed from them returned to Jerusalem. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the message. We trust you have been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions or perhaps you have questions on a different topic, let us know. Our information is given on the website or you can reach us at ministry at gmail.com We look forward to hearing from you. tombstone said he is risen just as he